This morning's reading is John 20, 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, it's great to be here. Allison and I have uh, longed to come to New Zealand and to, uh, to experience your beautiful country. In the last few days, we've been able to travel around, and it has been a sheer joy uh, to explore the beauty of this place and also the warm hospitality. Um, again, I want to say to you thank you uh, for your witness and your stand for the gospel. Uh, you may not realize it, but, but your stand is known all over the world. Uh, people are aware, they're praying for you, and um, your light is shining brightly. So I, I just want to commend you for that. Um, Jay, I also want to say thanks for the invitation to preach the gospel this morning. It's a real privilege to be here to do that. Uh, let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we ask you to come in the power of your spirit. Come and speak your truth. Help us each to hear from you what you want us, to, want us to hear and understand, and then help us apply it in our lives. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is it that you think about Jesus this morning? Last week, we all celebrated Easter, about Jesus rising from the dead. What do you, what do you really think about all of that? During the season of Easter, we remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We believe that he literally, physically rose from the dead. We believe he did this to authenticate his messianic claims and to affirm that his death on the cross truly was a sacrificial death for the forgiveness of sins. As he put it, my blood poured out for forgiveness of sins. During these 40 days of resurrection, Jesus appeared many different times. He appeared sometimes to people individually, some in twos and threes, some to just the 11 disciples, and one time he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. They all witnessed this, and they all witnessed to this. And you'll find that the, the message of the epistles, without their references to not only the death of Jesus on the cross, but their insistence on the importance and the power of the resurrection, they would be quite empty without that emphasis. We find in John chapter 20 one of these resurrection appearances. So I want to invite you to open your Bible if you have it. If not, turn on your phone. Or uh, is Andrew, if you put it on the screen as we go through, that would be great. I want to read the passage again, and then we're going to go through it verse by verse. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the sins of any, they are withheld. So we begin on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Well, that was the first Easter, and it was Sunday, and it was in the evening. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now, the Jews here referred to the leaders who put Jesus to death and the mob mentality that many had expressed on the day of his crucifixion. The Apostle John, by the way, is not anti-Jewish. He, he is Jewish. But this became an expression that the early followers of Jesus used to refer to those religious establishment folks who were against Jesus. Fear. The fear of the Jews. It was probably not only fear, but they were probably grieving, disillusioned, confused. I mean, surely they must have been asking, are, there, are we next? Are, are they looking for us? I mean, their whole world had been turned upside down by Jesus dying on the cross. Then we're told Jesus came and stood among them. Now, since the doors were shut and locked, we saw that earlier, this must mean that he entered the room some other way. Leon Morris, the Australian Anglican Bible scholar, writes this. He said, what is the point of John mentioning that the doors were locked? The point is that miraculously, Jesus stood in their midst. The, door, the doors were still locked and shut, or shut and locked. Then he showed them his hands and his side. Now, no reason is given for this, but it can be assumed that that's where the nails and the, where they hung him on the cross and, and the, the, the pierced side from where the soldier stabbed him in the side. Luke tells us in his account in Luke 24, 37, that they were startled and frightened when Jesus suddenly was present in the room. They thought that they had seen a ghost, a spirit. So Jesus shows them his hands and his side. Then we're told the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Their fear is changed to joy. Their anxiety is changed to joy. Their grief is changed to joy. And so it is with anyone who comes to Jesus even today. And he says to them, peace be with you. Now this was and still is the typical Hebrew greeting, shalom, peace. It conveys a sense of rightness and goodness to the recipient. It's a blessing that everything's okay between you, shalom. And here peace goes even deeper after their behavior on Thursday night and Friday night in deserting him and denying him. Shalom, he's saying, no blame, no condemnation, no rebuke. Shalom, peace. So that's all the introduction. And then Jesus gives them five important items in their time together. First, he gives them his peace, and he just gave it to them. But look at verse 21, he does it again. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, shalom, as we said, is the typical Hebrew greeting. God's peace be with you. The peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, it's still used today in Israel. They'll say shalom aleichem. 
the peace of the Lord. Jesus said in John 16, 33, these things I have given, I've spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. And then John 14, 27, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But on this occasion, it was more than just a greeting. On this occasion, it had a literal meaning. Shalom is the tangible peace when the Lord is present. It's that peace which passes all understanding. When Jesus is present, there is his peace. Let me say that again. When Jesus is present, there is his peace. This is why we followers of Jesus may be in the midst of an intense personal storm and be at peace. Someone yesterday was sharing about their life and how she, she described it as like a, a tornado. But she was in the Lord and she had this peace. Although there's all this chaos going on around her, but she had this peace. When Jesus is present, there is his peace. Secondly, he gives them a project. Verse 21, verse, uh, part B. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He gives them a project. I'm sending you. They're given this project, a mission to go, to not hide in fear, to not hide their light under the table, to not worry about living in tension and fear, but no, they are to go. They're given a project to go and let their light shine before women and men that they might see their good works and glorify the Father. They're given a mission to go into the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to quote Matthew's version of the Great Commission. He gives them this project, this mission to go. Thirdly, he gives them a pattern of how to do the project. Again, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So how did the Father send Jesus? It's what we now call the incarnation. What we celebrate at Christmas. God entering the human race. God loving us so much that he came to us. As John says in his gospel, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us or pitched his tent among us. He left his place in heaven. He entered into our world as a baby. And he grew up like we did, as messy and awkward as that is. And he taught and he served and he healed and he helped people and he laid down his life. John Stott says it this way, it was total identification, though without any loss of identity, for in becoming one of us, he did not cease to be himself. I love how he says that, for in becoming one of us, he did not cease to be himself. This is how the Father sent him, and this is the pattern he left for his disciples, his example. They were to go and do the same thing. They were to leave the comfort of their own worlds and go. They were to go and teach, they were to go and serve, they were to go to heal, they were, going to, they were to go and bless, they were to go to lay down their lives for their fellow human beings. As F.F. Bruce writes, the Son's mission in the world is entrusted now to them. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Of course, we know they did just that. Just they did that. They went to all the world and they turned it upside down. Fourthly, Jesus gives them the power 
to be able to do the mission in the manner Jesus asked. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This project, this mission, cannot be done on their own and in their own strength. Actually, it's impossible to do the mission of the Lord without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to even follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do real work that has any eternal significance without the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who equips followers of Jesus and empowers them to do evangelism and ministry in his name. Jesus told his disciples during another resurrection appearance, we find this in Acts chapter 1, he said, go over to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my Father is going to give you. And we now celebrate this as Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit baptized and filled them with his presence, exhibiting various gifts and giving them the, the Spirit to proclaim the message of salvation. Here Jesus breathes on them. He gives them a taste of the Spirit. Some would argue that this act was actually a preparation so that they could receive the Spirit later. John Stott, again, says it this way. His breathing on them was an acted parable, confirming the promise that they later would receive. The point is this. Without the Spirit's power, they would not be able to do the work that Jesus had given them to do. And fifthly, Jesus gives them a proclamation the gospel of salvation, the message of eternal salvation. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is actually a controversial verse as different Christians interpret this verse with different meanings. Our Roman Catholic brothers interpret this to mean Jesus gave authority to the disciples to hear confessions and grant absolution. That is, that the priest has authority to forgive or withhold forgiveness of your sins. Some Anglo-Catholic Anglicans believe this as well. But most Anglicans hold to the traditional teaching that only God can forgive sins. When we as clergy stand and pronounce absolution like was done earlier in this liturgy, after we've confessed our sins in worship, we, we are not forgiving your sins. We're just affirming that because of your confession and because of what Jesus did on the cross, God has forgiven you. It's what 1 John 1.9 says. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not one occasion in the scriptures where the apostles require confession or grant absolution. Their example is that they preach the good news of salvation, promising forgiveness of sins, to those who believed and repented, and warning of judgment for those who did not. This is how they lived out what Jesus told them to do. It's what the scriptures tell us as they do all throughout the book of Acts. Now, don't hear me wrong. There is an appropriate place for what our brothers call confession. To meet with your minister or someone in spiritual authority and confess some sin and what you need to bring before another for guidance, counsel, or possible amends of making a restitution or prayer or needing assurance of forgiveness, something in which you need to be restored to God or reconciled with another person, yes, this is very important. And there are times when we need to hear another person, another human say, God has forgiven you of that. But only God can forgive your sins. 
In this passage in John 20, Jesus has given the apostles the authority to preach the gospel of salvation. Which is what? It is a proclamation of God's acting in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, but it's also a message of judgment. It's a proclamation of God's mercy and God's judgment. Jesus said it another way in his resurrection appearance that, that Luke records in Luke 24, 46. Thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So in these few verses, five things he gives to the disciples in this passage. His peace, a project, his project, his, 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 his pattern, his power, and his proclamation. So here we are 20 centuries later. What might these say to us? How might this apply to you and me? Well, let's just go through one by one. Jesus gives us his peace. I shared with you earlier about my coming to the Lord, I, and I didn't have these fireworks go off, <clears throat> but I had this peace enter my life, that presence of the Lord. I know sometimes in the midst of making a, a difficult decision, I've learned that I don't make a decision unless I have his peace. There's this peace that he gives. In the midst of life, in the midst of the storms, there's this peace which passes all understanding. I've, I've now learned to recognize it. It's his peace. Secondly, God gives us a project, a mission to go. Now, it's a challenge to us in the 21st century to get outside the four walls of the church. Of course, your four walls were knocked down, and you're having to be creative. But to reach out to those in our communities, or in our schools, or in our government, or in the entertainment world, or in the sports community, to get outside the church, to go to them and not expect them to come to us, to go to other cultures which are foreign to us and share Jesus, to go into cyberspace and reach out through our social networks with the gospel of Jesus. He gives us this project to go. Thirdly, Jesus gives us the pattern, his example, his paradigm. He left his comfortable environment of heaven and came and dwelt among us. So we leave our comfortable environments and we go and dwell with those who we're called to reach. It's called incarnational ministry, going to where the people are. One of my diocesan clergy says this, well, it's time to go fishing. And what he means by that is to go into the community and spend time with people. See, to go fishing, you've got to go where the fish are. They don't just jump in your boat. At least that hasn't been my experience. <laughs> Fourth, Jesus gives us his power, the Holy Spirit. For those of us who become followers of Jesus, he gives us this incredible gift, the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, God himself, who literally takes up resonance in our being, who empowers us with supernatural gifts and who endues us with the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It is this gift, the Holy Spirit, which enables the follower of Jesus to do the mission and the ministry of Jesus. 
all other efforts will fail from an eternal perspective. All of it without the presence of the Spirit and the leadership and the empowering of the Spirit will just dissipate. It's that which the Spirit leads that lasts eternally. And fifth, Jesus gives us a proclamation, a message. The gospel of forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Jesus. You know many of these verses. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Or John 5.24, which says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Jesus said, Those who hear my words and believe him who sent me has eternal life. He has passed from death into life, from condemnation, from out of condemnation and out of judgment. We have this proclamation, this message. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. And then Romans 5, 8 tells us that God in his own love demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 10 says, Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8, chapter 38 says, I'm convinced of this very thing, that there is neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have this incredible message. And the world around us is hungering to hear it. If we can just communicate it in the way they can listen to it. Not in harsh condemnation and Bible beating people over the head, but with love and compassion, it opens up their ears to hear his truth. And yet I wonder this morning if there's not someone here who is yet to believe the message of the gospel. I mean, you've heard it. You could probably describe it. But you've never yielded your life to Christ. You've never bent the knee of your heart and said, Yes, Lord, have your way. John 1.12 says, To as many who received him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. If you've never asked Christ into your life, and you've never yielded your life to him, I invite you to do that today. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Don't put this off. Don't say, well, I'll do it when I'm, this happens, or I'll do it when I fit, finish this. No, today is the day of salvation. Come to him believing and receive the forgiveness of your sins, eternal life, and the Holy Spirit. Come to him and allow him to lead you into the life he wants you to live. When we talk about repentance, <clears throat> Most of us are living our, even many of us who've asked Jesus into our life, we're living our life the way we want to. What pleases us, what, what, what encourages us, what we want to do. To repent means we turn, we change our mind, and we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to follow your direction. I'll speak this, I won't speak this, I'll do this, I won't do this. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I yield it to you. So today, I don't know where you are. I've not met most of you. 
feel obligated in the spirit this morning to say, come to him. Renew your relationship with him. Submit to him and allow him to lead you and guide you. Jesus Christ, he is alive. And one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But you have the ability not only to share that, but to know it personally. So with that in mind, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that you are alive. We thank you that you have not left us hopeless or helpless. And Lord, some folks here this morning have put you on the shelf. They have said, yes, Lord, maybe a long time ago. Or they said, yes, Lord, but not this. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would give them the ability to yield their life to you. To say yes, Lord, to everything you lead. And Father, for any that do that, I pray that you would renew them, empower them, and strengthen them in your Holy Spirit. To give them that special touch this day and that peace that passes all understanding. And this is our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen.